the knowledge needs to be down at the level of what Michael has helpfully introduced to our congregation as muscle memory. It needs to be instant and instinctive. You need to drill on that until it becomes part of who you are. You are listening to Holy Words from Holy Cross, the sermon podcast of Holy Cross Evangelical Lutheran Church in Nazareth, Pennsylvania. We hope you find these words a blessing in your daily walk with God. Please visit us on the web at www.holycrossnazareth.org or in person at 696 Johnson Road, Nazareth, Pennsylvania. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that So a student knows what, but a son knows why. A student knows what, but a son knows why. Let me explain. I was talking, I was at the uh, first service, and right about where Lynn is sitting, there was sitting one of our high school seniors, and I was saying that, you know, when you're a student, you know how to pass a class in which you have no interest. <laughs> and first he smiled. <laughs> and then he kind of looked at his mom like, uh-oh. <laughs> um, what you do is you simply write down what the teacher tells you, then you spit it back to them when they, want, when they ask you for it. And you don't have to understand anything deeper about it. I was the, the king of grade, grade B. If it was a class I was not interested in, I could guarantee a solid B in any class in high school. Because I knew what to do. I simply repeated back what I was told when it was time. Now, if it was a class I was interested in, I got an A. Because I didn't want to be a mathematician. I didn't want to be a physicist. I didn't want to be a chemist. But I thought I wanted to be an English teacher. So in English class, when our teacher would speak, I paid strict attention not only to what he was saying, but to the why behind it. I dug deep and tried to figure out what literature meant and how it worked so that I could eventually, down the road, be standing where he was standing. I was going to, in my mind, inherit his position, so I needed to understand the why and not just the what. Now, I bring this up because in today's reading from Galatians is one of the most commonly misunderstood passages from the Scripture. And it's been that way since the beginning of the church. No idea whether the Corinthian church knew about this letter to the Galatian church. They probably didn't. But they certainly knew the concepts that Paul was teaching in it. Um, He taught them everywhere. And so they eventually got off track because they heard this language the way our reading begins. It begins like this. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. Now that captive and imprisonment language. Has anyone ever not been in a high school class and felt like you were in prison? (laughs) It feels that way because you're not getting to do what you want to do. But then the passage goes on. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. Now, the law was our guardian. The word we translate as guardian there is the word pedagogos. Does that sound like a word you know from English? Pedagogue. Teacher. 
In the Roman world, a teacher was someone to whom was not only entrusted with the teaching of your, your children, but they lived with that teacher. That teacher was their legal guardian. So just to translate it as guardian, we might be thinking like a contract with the, with the state or something that if I pass on, my kids go to their legal guardian. But this person was a teacher. Their purpose was to teach everything that that student needed to know. And yes, they were strict. But they were the teacher. The student learned what they were told and they spat it back. But once you have the coming of faith, we're told, then then we are no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Now, the significance of sonship language here is not related to biological sex. It's that in the Roman world, only a son could inherit. Through faith we are all sons of God in Christ Jesus. So here, he goes on to make it clear, just in case we would miss the point. For in Christ, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, and so there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, in the Roman world, Jews had no legal standing. They were not members of the Roman society in which they lived. They were not citizens. That distinguished them from Greeks. The same way with slave and free. Slaves were generally treated better in the Roman Empire than they were treated in American history, but they could be killed at will and for no reason, as could children. There's no male and female. Everyone equally is a son of God, whether you're male or female or any other status. You were equally inheritors of the promises given to God and of the kingdom of God. The promises that God gave are yours, regardless of social class or sex or anything else. We are all equal before the Lord, claimed by the Lord Jesus Christ. Set free from our sins. And not just free from our sins, but free for the kingdom. You are an heir of that. And an heir needs to pay attention. Because here's the reality. A student or a slave never needs to understand how the whole estate works. If you're a slave in the kitchen, you need to know how the stove works. If you're a slave in the field, you need to know how to feed the animals or till the grain. If you're a child, you only need to pay attention to whatever subject is in front of you at the moment. But if you are an heir of the estate, you need to eventually grasp the why behind each and every one of those things. You're no longer a prisoner of the law. The law is a gift to you for you're going to understand why it works and how to implement it and apply it in your life and for the good of the whole estate. Remember, the estate owner has tremendous responsibility for all those who live there with him. This is the difference. This is why a student can understand just the what, but a son needs to understand the why. And we have been set free from our guardianship under the law so that now, it's not that the law no longer applies to us, but we embrace the law as something that helps us order our lives. This is why Luther starts his small catechism with the Ten Commandments. (laughs) 
and teaches us how to apply it to our lives, the positive application as well as the negative. When you get, thou shalt not murder, but you shall also then do what is best for your neighbor and care for them and, and desire their good and all that stuff. The law becomes, instead of a guardian and a prison keeper, a gift to us. Because we've been set free by faith in Christ Jesus to embrace it in that way. Now, I learned a little bit about this when I was a uh, doctoral student because even in being a sem- even going to seminary for my master's degree, I, uh, it was very clear who were the teachers and who were the students and we were expected to give back the answers that we were expected to give back. As one person said, they were training us to be franchise managers and they didn't like inventiveness. <laughs> But when I started to pursue my doctoral degree, it was different. Not that the books were any harder. They were at the same level. But we were expected to engage them differently. So you read a couple hundred pages in a week. You turn in a seven to ten page paper on those pages. And then you go to class. And in class, it's called a colloquium. And those of you who attend the Tuesday Bible study will be familiar with the first question we were almost always asked by our professors. So what struck you about the reading for this week? He wasn't going to give us the answers he wanted to hear because he was initiating us into a fraternity. He was doctor. At the end, we were going to be doctor. And so we needed to be able to take his place. So we better understand the why behind the subject material so we could turn around and teach it in our turn. In fact, psychologists have demonstrated the best way to learn anything is to know you have to turn right around to teach it. This has gotten more clear to me recently. I'm I'm very rarely on Facebook. I apologize if you message me on Facebook. I'm on it every seven or eight months whether I need to be or not. Um, But I did did get on it a couple of weeks ago um, to post up a picture. Um, uh, My son and I just started taking karate together. Um, Come here and stand up. Stand, Stand back to back with me. Thank you. <laughs> As you can see, he's got... You can sit down. Thanks, buddy. He, he's got about an inch and at least 35 pounds on me now. And he's my sparring partner. <laughs> um, karate is defined... Our, our, the style of karate we're studying, and we, I wanted a very traditional dojo, so we looked a long time for that, is called um, Shotokan, and it's defined as a defensive art. In fact, the first thing you learn is a block. Every set of forms called katas you learn begin with a block. And this is the first block we were taught. This is called ageuke. Only if you've ever taken karate, you'll know this is not ageuke. <laughs> this is not an upper block. Because you can see my head over the top of my hand. <laughs> the first day he taught it, our sensei taught us this one, he swung a bamboo sword at us. It won't cut your head off, but it hurts. <laughs> Guarantee you. And he swung it at us so we would learn that Ageyuki is not here, it's up here. <laughs> and furthermore, when you're up here, you can't have your arm flat. Because if you do, if the sword comes down like this, or the blow, or the punch, what's going to happen to your arm? <laughs> you go at an angle so that the deflection takes away some of the energy of the blow. Furthermore, you have to form a proper fist, even for a block, because this strengthens the wrist. 
so that you have the ability to block. Then, at the end of the, of the motion for the block, you twist like this. This final bit of energy pushes, gives opposite energy to the incoming blow. But you're still not done. This hand needs to be down here so that your whole body's like a spring. And you'll notice as I do that, both my, my waist, my, excuse me, my hips, and my shoulders turn at a 45 degree angle. Blocks are always at a 45 degree angle because you're trying to deflect energy. And when you want to reverse, you come up so that you've always got something blocking, then you come back down. Pop. Pop. So about five weeks ago, we're learning this. And he starts speeding it up a little bit. Well, the other night, he starts pairing us off. And you start by doing my, which means you put your fist out like this. Now why, if it's a defensive art, why do you learn punches and kicks? To end the violence. Some oncoming attackers will keep attacking you till they hit you. And also so you can defend the defenseless. The idea is always to end the violence as quickly as possible, starting with words if possible, ending with progressing to blocks, and only if necessary moving to a punch or a kick. In fact, every time as our, as our practices end, we have to affirm that we will engage in no acts of violence. Refrain from violent behavior is one of the affirmations we have to make. But you need to practice. So he pairs us off. And I get paired off with the guy sitting there. <laughs> and you start with my to make sure your fist is close enough that you can actually hit the person. So now if I don't do the block correctly, he helps me lift things. I know how big his muscles are. Now if I fail in my block, I catch it with my nose or the side of my face. And we start blocking each knee Sun, chi, and we keep going faster and faster. Can I tell you what happens as you get faster and you don't have these skills mastered? <laughs> the knowledge needs to be down at the level of what Michael has helpfully introduced to our congregation as muscle memory. It needs to be instant and instinctive. You need to drill on that until it becomes part of who you are. And it is the same way with our Christian identity. This gift bestowed upon us by God in baptism. This sonship, this being an heir of the kingdom is something we are saved not only from our sins but for the kingdom of God and we need to be formed now in the identity for which we have been saved. Both to defend ourselves and the defenseless around us from the attacks of the enemy. That formation takes a lot of training and a lot of repetition and a lot of practice and a lot of knowledge. A friend who I refer to as my spiritual director, um, for many years he was my spiritual director. Um, he is retired now. He took an early retirement because he's struggling with brain cancer. And so I'd appreciate prayers for him if you think of it. Um, but I called him my Remember the Alamo spiritual director. Because he was from Texas. And when I got it wrong, he'd level it on me, like Davy Crockett. Um, and every year, 
when he was in parish ministry. In August, he ran the same article in his newsletter. As, as August came around, you're getting ready to start the school year, he would say this. Remember that the only graduation from Sunday school is a funeral rite. <laughs> now, we don't even have an adult form here. Maybe we need to form one of those. But at the very least, we need to be constantly being formed afresh getting deeper in our Christian identity so that when the attacks of the enemy come at us or people near us and need, they need defense, we can defend them. And when necessary, attack to defend them. We need to be able to block. We need to be able to attack when necessary. We need to be fully formed in our Christian faith. And the only reason I could explain everything to you in a proper age uke was because from the very first lesson, our sensei looked at us and said, you pay attention to everything I say because here's the reality. If you are the ranking student in the room, I may ask you to teach the other students. Even as the first level. I haven't even achieved, neither you nor I have gotten our first level yet and we could still be the ranking student in the room if we're the oldest one. I wasn't with Ian on Thursday night. Maybe he was the ranking student. (laughs) We have to know the why and then get it deep down in our bones so we can react instinctively in the moment with deep Christian character and a profoundly Christian way of seeing the world. That is what it means to be an heir of the Most High and to fully live into the identity for which we have been claimed by the sacrifice of our Lord Jesus. We practice again and again and again. We learn again and again and again. We read scripture again and again and again and come here and in worship are fortified by the word of God and by his own body and blood that we might better be the people we have been redeemed to be by Christ. No longer looking at it as I'm in prison under this teacher. But instead embracing the teaching as the path to true freedom as a son or daughter of God. Will you join me now for a word of prayer? Lord God, we thank you for this incredible gift you've given us, claiming us back from sin, death, and the devil by your own precious blood, through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. God, we see oppression around us. We see people and maybe have even experienced the same affliction as this man held prisoner in our Gospel reading. We see how you wish to set us free. We know that you've claimed us for that. But Lord, we know also that Being a Christian isn't just a promise about what comes at the end of our lives in in heaven, but it's for here and now. Christianity is a claim about the nature of reality. The created order, our nature, is made in your image but fallen. And your nature as a loving God who seeks to restore and redeem. Lord, help us to learn all the ramifications of that. Help us to be not only students or slaves, but, but to act like heirs, sons who, and daughters who will inherit your kingdom. Help us be hungry for the word, hungry for that formation. 
Help us to practice what we learn until it becomes part of who we are. Lord, forgive us when we fail to do this and help us grow more and more into the likeness of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart.